Web 2.0. Innovation. Trend. Collaboration. Software. Got the world turning as fast as it can? Hear how technology can help, legally speaking, with two of the top legal technology experts, authors, and lawyers, Dennis Kennedy and Tom Mile. Welcome to the Kennedy Mile Report here on the Legal Talk Network. And welcome to episode 333 of the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Dennis Kennedy in Ann Arbor. And I'm Tom Mile in Dallas. In our last episode, we focused on Tom's area of expertise, information governance, and how important it is for the legal profession to get up to speed in this area. In this episode, we decided to jump in with the crowd and just admit that it is now impossible not to talk about what chat, GPT, and generative AI can do. So we thought it might be a good time to update some of what we discussed about this topic over the last few months, because a lot has been happening even in the last few weeks or even the last few days. How can you sift through the news and hype and determine what's real? Tom, what's all on our agenda for this episode? Well, Dennis, in this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, we will indeed be returning to the topic of generative AI, and more specifically to ChatGPT, which has been making a lot of headlines lately, and which, by the way, we will be using, or maybe more likely GPT-4, to create a chatbot based on our collaboration tools and technologies book that's going to answer questions about collaboration tools, just like you're talking to us. In our second segment, we'll talk about whether anybody reads emails or anything else for that matter, uh, and what you can do about it to get a response or get people to read them. And as usual, we'll finish up with our parting shots, that one tip, website, and observation that you can start to use the second that this podcast is over. But first up, we wanted to revisit what is clearly the hottest topic in tech today, and that is chat GPT. And by by relationship to that generative AI, we first did an episode on generative AI back in November, uh, and then just one episode later, ChatGPT was introduced. Uh, since then, so much has happened, just so so much. It's it's in the news every day. So we wanted to catch up on it, see if there's anything there worth talking about during a podcast. Dennis, what do you think we can add to this ChatGPT conversation? I think, first of all, we should say that we're pretty sure that even though we did a podcast uh, before it was introduced, uh, that that probably was not the cause of the chat GPT uh, explosion. So I, I think we, we have a fair amount uh, to add to the conversation based on what we've seen lately and some specific examples as well. But at first, I want to acknowledge something that happened earlier this week. So I think many listeners know I'm now at uh, the director of this Center for Law, Technology and Innovation at, at Michigan State. And you probably are very aware of a mass shooting incident that happened on campus. And uh, I just want to kind of take the time to acknowledge that happened and uh, ask people, you know, to keep the, the MSU community in mind. It's uh, It's been a difficult time, and I'm, I'm sure it will continue to be difficult. And so I just want to stop and say that. And then the 
For ChatGPT, we had started a legal design challenge for the 2L students at Michigan State. And the topic was uh, and is, uh, how could we use ChatGPT to enhance access to justice? And we actually kicked off that contest and uh, the finals were going to push back by by a week or so. Um, so we're starting to explore that in, in a very practical way uh, and an experimental way. And we also, I also get the chance to talk uh, with my uh, MSU class in AI and law about chat GPT on almost in every class uh, this semester. So we've we've started to to really look at some of the things that are happening. And we had a great conversation earlier about what students thought about what kind of controls that uh, educators should put on the use of chat GPT. And it was it was super thoughtful conversation and and it just reminded me that sometimes uh, people in charge need to to ask the people uh, who are involved. And, you know, so educators probably should ask students what they think because their answers are very thoughtful. And not just because I think they reflected, Tom, some of what you and I think about ChatGPT. It is a tool. It's going to be with us. It's going to be used in a lot of ways. And it's best to learn it and see what it can be used best for and, and not avoid it and figure out how to keep people from using it. Well, yeah, I mean, that's that's been, I would say, an unfortunate consequence, but probably not an unusual consequence. I mean, when a new technology comes out that uh, that that has potential for misuse, um, there will always, although I sense, you know, these days I feel like we're rushing towards that more frequently than we used to, um, but there is a rush to control it, to ban it, to do something with it. And uh, there are probably some good intentions behind what's going on. And, you know, we certainly don't want to have chat GPT writing, writing papers and dissertations and things like that, even if it could do a good job in doing that. But I think that we need to be more thoughtful about it. And it's good to see that, that your classmates, uh, your, your students are are being thoughtful like that and thinking about that not in such a way that is either, you know, one way, let's get rid of it, or another way, we, we should be jumping in with both feet uh, ready to just do whatever we want to with this, no limits to, uh, to the things that can be done with it. Yeah, so I, I think it's this, this really interesting period of, of experimentation where people really pushing things forward and pushing the other people who are working on AI, Microsoft and Google especially, to move faster than they than they think they've they've planned. And and I think we've seen a lot of advances just in a couple of months. I mean, I know that people say that as an app, uh, in the broadest sense, Chat GPT has been adopted faster than any any other application in in history that might or might not be true, but uh, that's what, what people are saying. Um, and so I like the fact that we're moving in, we're, we're digging into it. And uh, Tom, I think one of my fondest hopes is that we, uh, I know, but hopefully others will stop resorting to the already tired trope of having uh, GPT, uh, Chad GPT, write our script uh, or articles and then complaining it uh, that it doesn't do it as perfectly as we can. Well, you know, I have to say I was I was listening to some people talk about their tests with Chat GPT and one podcaster actually 
went all in on an all artificial intelligence podcast where he actually had ChatGPT write the script for the podcast and then he used, and we've talked about it on this, this podcast before, he used the tool called Descript, which will basically create your, your voice. You can have it do your voice. And he had Descript read the podcast script completed uh, by ChatGPT. And he said, you know, it, it did an okay job, but he said the one thing that it lacked, um, that the voice lacked and that the, the words lacked, where they lacked passion, is that they didn't have the flair. They didn't have the emotion. It, it wasn't that it was totally in monotone, but it was also, it just didn't really have that oomph that a human is still giving to it. So uh, I think you're right. Is it, The script still can't do it as perfectly as we can do it. It can't do it as well because it's just not a human doing it. And we're the judges of how well it's, it's doing. So That's right. uh, we always win. So... Uh, to reference an, an earlier podcast, another earlier podcast of ours, Tom, I, th I think that we've, in terms of the classic Gardner hype cycle, I would say that ChatGPT might be at the highest heights of the hype cycle that I've ever seen. And I wonder if the if the trough of disappointment will be as low as we ever see, because we're already starting, I think, on that downward path where people are going to be like, wait, this isn't perfection. This isn't going to do all these things. It's just sort of like a first, you know, maybe first or second generation approach. And it uh, it does small things really well, but it's it's not making all the changes that we expected. I thought, frankly, that the meteoric rise of Web3 and NFTs, especially NFTs on the hype cycle, I thought that was something to see. And do you ever hear about that anymore? I mean, I don't hear about it hardly at all. Now, that maybe because crypto, which is tied to all of it, is really not in favor that much anymore. Um, but I frankly think that ChatGPT has beat the heck out of NFTs for hype and exposure. I think that there's more about that. I frankly think that ChatGPT has more staying power. I'm predicting that in the long run, it will be a tool worth using. But I think that right now, the hype is largely blown a little more out of proportion because of, like you say, what we think we can do with it, not with what actually is possible in a realistic way to do with it. And when people look at the difference between their hopes and reality, um, there is a little bit of uh, disappointment there. But that doesn't mean it's not still a good tool that can't be used for great things. We just need to get to that phase of settling down and really getting into using it. Well, and I think that there's a sort of magical part of uh, chat GPT that, that people really like. And, and so people don't totally understand what it is, what it does, how it works. Uh, we give it uh, human qualities when we describe it. We have, we, you know, are just, I mean, not just, but a lot of us are just starting to, uh, to question like how it was put together, you know, how it's being sold, how it might be used and not used, and uh, some of the problems that could be inherent, you know, ethical and otherwise. And because there's so much happening that's unplanned and unrestrained in experimentation, that I think that surprised Google and Microsoft, who I, I think had really constrained an internal experimentation and are now kind of dumping what they're doing uh, out into the world, I think with very, very uneven success. 
Well, so, I mean, I, I frankly think that Microsoft's offering looks a lot more interesting because they're really working directly with OpenAI. They're directly integrating GPT-3 into Bing and into Edge. You know, frankly, Bing is is kind of the maligned search engine. It's kind of the one that people don't really go to. And now we've I've seen lots of articles saying, is it could Bing actually be good again? And I think the answer is... Maybe. I mean, it could it could be. I mean, we've complained on this podcast, or at least maybe Dennis has complained. I haven't complained about about how bad Google is getting. Maybe this is something that pushes more people towards Bing. I mean, I think that the early results are not bad. Um, they're for a, for a brand new tool. It's not something that's totally disappointing. I think it's pretty interesting. You have to re- register to join the beta, beta test. So if you're interested, you can get on the waiting list and join the beta test for that. I haven't been accepted yet. I don't know, Dennis, have you been accepted? I don't know if you've gotten into it or you're part of it. I'm just learning about the beta list for, as, as, as we speak. As we speak. There is a beta list to get on the Bing on the Bing waiting list. <laughs> I joined like the day it came out and I and and they've started letting people in but I'm not I must be much farther down on the list. One thing that is very different from this version of ChatGPT that Bing is using is that the ChatGPT that we've talked about that we've gone and tested out and played with is using data that went up to some point in time in 2021 and didn't go beyond that. But the one that Bing is using is actually pulling data from today, from current time. So if you ask, uh, if you asked it a question like, what did Apple announce today at its product announcement? It should be able to give you a pretty good summary of what got announced at the, uh, at whatever, whoever gave an announcement, Apple or otherwise. So I have pretty high hopes for Microsoft. And frankly, and we'll talk about this a little more later. I don't care so much about putting it into Bing or Edge. I am really excited about maybe putting it into Word or Teams or something where actually you want to generate content, where you want to have it write something. Now, of course, all the educators are going to start freaking out and saying, oh, no, we can't put it in Word. We can't just have it so easy to generate fake articles. Anyway, we'll see what happens. I, now, Google really had really a bad a bad showing. Now, for the for a company that touts its AI experience through Google Assistant, and I brag about it all the time, I talk about how excited I am about Google, they really, they really messed up and got caught unprepared for Microsoft's announcement. And they tried to rush something out. They've got a tool, they've called it Bard, which also feels rushed and made up. I mean, it just doesn't Bard, it's okay, Bard. But in the demo, it made a really substantial mistake about something. And uh, that's never good for business. Uh, so I'm not sure that Google is, I mean, I'd have to put them as as the playing catch up right now that Microsoft is the front runner. And, you know, I, it just I'm just thinking about asking Word to create a blog post for you in your own writing style. So it's say, I want you to go read my blog. I want you, I'm going to feed my blog to you and you think about it. I want you to create a blog post for me in my writing style around my specific area of legal interest. Then all you have to do is review and revise it. What a huge time saver it's going to be. It's not going to put you out of business. It's not going to put any other content creators out of business. It's just going to give you a good start. And I'm excited about that. Yeah, I like that. I, I mean, I guess one thing that, as you mentioned, that I'm a little bit afraid of is like the, I, I know that marketers and advertisers will use it to say like, generate yet another unsolicited email to Dennis that might appeal to him. 
you know, and that would become even easier for them to do that. So I'm intrigued. There's a couple of developments, Tommy, before we go to the break that I thought were worth mentioning. I'm, I'm really intrigued by how many people are, are looking at to build apps that use the GPT tools and including in, in legal. Uh, we're, we're already seeing that. And Nikki Shaver is putting together a list of, of companies that are doing that. I see these sort of really innovative small uses. Like I said, I, I think when you think small, that the potential of chat GPT really opens up to me. And I see things that, that concern me, like the historical nature of the training data sets, the built-in biases that we have, you know, ethical and other issues, uh, questions about how things were trained. Um, and then the whole, the whole question of who got to decide that all these things could be trained on content. Tom, frankly, that uh, liked it, what you and I create and they didn't pay for it. Not only didn't they pay us for it, but now OpenAI uh, wants to charge us for premium access. So I'm not sure what exactly they mean by open there, especially when I feel like I was uh, a part contributor to this. Well, yeah, it's, I question what the meaning of the word open is in that context. And frankly, it's not going to be cheap either. They're going to want to charge $20 a month for it. Now, that may be pretty good if you plan on using it to generate a lot of money-making content. So maybe that's worth it. Or spam emails. Or spam easy. emails. Well, if it's if it'll make you more than $20 a month to do it, then fine. But, you know, it's not what I'm used to seeing for a, from a tool like this. So, you know, I may still go ahead and do it because it's interesting enough to me. But, um, you know, there are a lot of things about it that I like. I mean, I think it allows us to be more efficient, get a lot of on-point content in a short period of time. I think that... I use the term high quality in a certain way. To the extent that it's accurate, it's well-spoken. It is something that is not just dumbed down. It's something that, you know, a lot of people I've seen have called ChatGPT confident in its tone. Supremely confident yes. is the... <laughs> and, and, and I think that's a little, you know, a little bit of ego on the part of ChatGPT, but it feels like it's high quality. It's trained on a lot of data. Now, the question is, is it historic older data or is it using the new data like I mentioned that Bing is going to be using? And it's create, it has a possibility creative. Tell it to you know, come up with 10 titles for a blog post talking about this topic. And there might be something in there that you didn't think about. I heard a comedy writer saying, come up with 50 jokes about this topic and you know, 48 of them are going to be terrible, but two of them might have some gems in them that the comedy writers didn't think about. But what concerns me really, what concerns me the most is accuracy, is that there's a lot of inaccurate things that get posted. And when they are posted with that supreme confidence, it's even more dangerous, I think. And some of the information is just plain wrong. I mean, it it posted that uh, two different judges, conservative and, and liberal judges on the Supreme Court, had come down on the opposite side of a Supreme Court decision. It was just wrong. I, it's not a deal breaker for me. It just means it needs to get better doesn't understand the quirks of human language, so it's not going to get that quite right. Like I said before, there's really not an emotional connection. I think a person writing with feeling is always going to come across a little bit better. I think that there's a challenge on how you're going to be able to tell chat GPT text from real human text. OpenAI actually introduced a new tool to allow you to tell the difference, but from what I've read so far, it's only accurate about 26% of the time, and it that feels a little odd to me that the, the people who wrote the tool 
their tool to tell you uh, if something's being written by their tool is only accurate, uh, successful 26% of the time. But anyway, there are a lot of concerns. We want to really talk more about that in the context of the law. But uh, we've been blabbing a lot, me more than usual. Let's, uh, Let's take a quick break from our sponsors before we continue with this topic. Be the best resource you can for your Spanish-speaking clients with the Spanish Group's Legal Translation Service. Experienced translators ensure accurate translation of your documents with same-day delivery. Confidentiality is ensured, and the Spanish Group guarantees acceptance for certified translations. All that, and their rates are competitive. If you need other languages, the Spanish Group translates in over 140 languages. Mention Legal Talk 20 when you request your quote for 20% off your first translation. Visit thespanishgroup.org. Delegate out those tasks that take up your time. Staffy can help you with your legal, administrative, marketing, and even client-facing workload. Hiring Staffy's top-notch bilingual virtual staff means Staffy does the recruiting, hiring, and training for you. Then, if you need a change, Staffy handles it. You get to concentrate on your strategic work. Schedule a free consultation at staffy.cc. That's S-T-A-F-I dot C-C and get $500 off with code HAPPY24. And we are back. Tom, how is ChatGPT and the, the other generative AI tools likely to impact the legal profession and the legal system in the short run and in the long run? Should our listeners just ask ChatGPT to answer that question and run with the results? Uh, I would say no. You know, ChatGPT only got about 50% right on the bar exam when they told the bar exam. So uh, there is still a long way to go. But, you know, if we look at the short term, on this podcast, every time we talk about Tech Show or Legal Week or any legal tech conference, all we talk about is when we walk to the vendor floor is AI, 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 AI. And now you know what's going to happen. We're going to go and it's all going to be chat GPT now. And that's going to be the buzzword. And all the vendors are going to try to find a way to incorporate chat GPT into their offering, whether it fits naturally or not. And, you know, some legal tech companies are already doing that. I mean, I think the one that interests me the most right now is Ironclad. And their contracting tool is that they're going to let you generate red line versions of contracts with language that's drawn from clauses you've already approved. So they're going to look at stuff that you've approved in a contract. They will look at the other contract. They will automatically redline it for you. And then all you have to do is review the red lines and you're done. You can also basically tell ChatGPT to make changes based on simple on a simple prompt to say something like, make all non-disclosures mutual. And it will automatically do that in the document or it will automatically insert redline language into the document to show it. I think that's a very interesting and a good development of how they're using it. Like you said, Nikki Shaver has, has listed a couple of other country uh, companies that are that are be planning to do this. So I'm, uh, you know, f- I think that there are slow, cautious steps into ChatGPT, but then I also see that a lot of other companies are standing right behind them, bumbling their way into ChatGPT, and uh, for better or for worse. To me, it all comes back to the fact that ChatGPT is a text predictor. And it doesn't have special powers. It doesn't have special insights. It's one category of AI, uh, which is some of the things I learned when uh, while teaching a class on AI and law. But so I, I 
look at the short term and I just see people just like expecting so much from chat GPT and saying it's going to do all these things. So and so even the example you gave of like, you know, finding the clauses that you actually use and stuff. Well, people have been using doing that with KM tools and playbooks and stuff for a long time. Um, and you you'd say now we have this text predictor tool that's doing that. So we're still going to have to look at it. I don't know, maybe it saves time. Maybe it does or doesn't It work for certain things. I see the benefit is in these these really uh, like transmittal documents, simple things like write to cover letter for this. Do a summary. Like I think there's no, with ChatGPT, there's almost no excuse for lawyers not to do summaries of complex documents because the ChatGPT could generate a good draft of a, of a summary that could be really helpful and very client friendly. So I, I look at those things. And when I see people are saying it's going to do so much that that's why I get wary. But when I, like I say, if, if I look simple at chat GPT, I had the, the, uh, the potential there is really great, especially for the things that lawyers have not decided to do document automation on already. Because I think that if you haven't done document automation at all, the chat GPT is an interesting way to leapfrog document automation for first drafts on, you know, relatively uh, simple documents. And I think that's that's sort of fascinating. So I see some stuff happening in, in the short term. Um, in the long term time, I, my guess is that like in, in a lot of the news, the newest technologies that e-discovery is where we'll see the biggest impact of AI as it develops, including chat GPT, uh, you know, possibly as an, an interface to some of this stuff. But, but again, I see summaries, outlines, you know, the sort of transmittal type documents, other, you know, things like that, where I think it will really shine. And if we kind of say it's probably not going to be able to do prediction, it's probably not going to uh, do this dramatic pattern, uh, you know, finding all that, those sorts of things. Those is, that's a different set of tools. But I think that for what it can do, if you're thinking text prediction, and you stay in those terms, I think there's some cool things that can happen. Uh, and it potentially gets quite better in the long term. Although I think that's an open question as it trains on more and more documents. Are we so sure it's just going to keep getting better or is it going to potentially decline in its ability to do things just because it's been trained on so much? And from a short-term benefit to the other area that I think law firms can benefit from is perhaps in marketing content. So writing copy for your website, you know, writing blog, first drafts of blog posts, writing newsletters, other marketing communications. There's a judge in Colombia, who allegedly tried to use ChatGPT for a for a decision, I don't think that's a good initial use of ChatGPT. I mean, it's certainly not trained on all of law right now, and I'm, I'd be interested to see what happens then. But I, what I've been hearing is is that 
it. It's avoiding, so far, it's avoiding some of the problems before when, if you remember, Microsoft came out with its own AI a few years ago that literally within hours of being made public was had already been taught to be racist uh, and make Nazi slogans all over the place. So far, that's not happening, but it's it's going in the opposite direction. So somebody asked it to write a, a heartfelt poem on the life and legend of Ted Cruz, and it came back and said, I'm sorry, I'm not comfortable doing that for the fact that it might politicize something. So it, it actually is staying away from that. But then it also sounds like it's a little bit um, defensive, is that if it doesn't know something, um, it comes back and it will uh, be a little defensive with you. So I'm interested to see how it learns from that because people are going to be testing it. People are going to be feeding it stuff that's going to test its limits to see what happens to it. And I'm really interesting to see because it will grow, not in the sense that a person grows, but it will grow and evolve. And I am really very interested to see how, uh, in which direction it's going to grow. Well, and that's an interesting point, Tom, because I, I think that we'll probably rapidly go to the place where there's not one universal chat GPT. It's we're gonna have all these specific instances of it that's trained and and you know, like we've experienced with search engines and other things that, you know, the results you get might be different than than what I get. Um, and they might be different from time to time. So I think there's some interesting things. There are really interesting things out there. And then as people are testing it, people are testing this stuff really hard. They're trying to to break it. They're trying to do, to put it mildly, inappropriate things uh, using the tools and to to see what happens. And we've already heard that as they've tried to deal with uh, some of the problematic content, they've paid people very small amounts of money to do that, and a lot of them had to get had to go to counseling after you know reviewing you know obscene materials so not everything is good about this there's there are a lot of issues and we'll see even more of them but i I, having said that i did want to mention two things that i thought of that could be really interesting for a law firm and you talked about a time in the marketing sense i think anything where you have something that's a committee type of report to generate the first draft of that has to be, and maybe even to do the whole thing, has to be better than what most committees come with, come up with. And then uh, one thing we talked about in our class was what if you train chat GPT on your documents in your firm and it start, and you were then able to generate things in the style of your firm? Um, and then get a consistent style because people started from the same place that reflected that style. And that's that's been something people have wanted to do f- for a long time. And the, if this was a shortcut to, to do that or get something close to that, I, I think that's that's another uh, use that's worth doing some experimentation on. So I'm putting a link in the show notes to uh, the OpenEye website. You can get your own account there. I would say go get it while it's free. Test it out. See what all the hype is about if you have a chance. Um, There are uh, uh, a number of resources out there with different kinds of questions and things you can ask. Maybe maybe one on this podcast we'll be talking about as well. But uh, go go give it a shot yourself and see uh, what we've been talking about. All right. Before our next segment, let's take a quick break for a message from our sponsor. Filing court documents, serving legal papers, collecting electronic signatures, all critical parts of the litigation process, yet ones that are time-consuming and error-prone. 
But what if you could do more straight from your case or document management software? InfoTrack automates data entry, document selection, tracking, and information syncing across all these core tasks and more by integrating with your core systems like Clio, Smokeball, Leap, MyCase, and others. Spend more time on substantive legal work and less time on busy work. Learn how simple it can be at infotrack.com slash simple. And now let's get back to the Kennedy Mile Report. I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. If you ask Tom what the question is that he asks me most often, it would probably be, did you read my last email or message? In fact, I must confess that we actually had this very conversation right before we started recording because I hadn't read closely enough uh, an email we had gotten earlier. And so sometimes I have to plead guilty to, of, of not actually reading the, the email, and then I try to find something else or someone else to blame. To be fair, there are days when I wonder whether anybody reads emails or anything else these days. It's it's a problem. We thought we might share some of our solutions. Tom, without limiting yourself just to the things you try with me, what are some approaches that listeners might take to help them get their emails and messages read? I will say that I have uh, a number of years of hard experience with a boss who does not appropriately read emails. They are selective in what they read. They answer only what they want to answer. They sometimes don't even notice that it comes in. And so when you have people like that in your life, you have to learn strategies to make sure that they're getting the messages you want. And so here are some of the things that I'm making sure that I'm doing and that I've seen as good practices. One is making the subject line clear. Don't make it like need your help or question or hello. I've seen emails that say hello and I that's not useful at all. Instead, say something like need help with and make it specific or question about blank. And that makes it very clear what you're asking about. Please try to avoid long narrative emails with long paragraphs. I've seen so many of those, and my eyes glaze over when I start to read them. Even if some people do read them, nobody wants to read them. Break them into smaller paragraphs, fewer sentences, make them digestible, use bullet points to make it easier for people to read. One of the things that works really well with my boss and with others is to put something at the top of the email that usually says something like net. And it is just a summary. If I have to put a lot of information in there, it's a summary at the top with a few bullet points. So if you want to read the detail, you can read it below. But otherwise, you've got a summary at the top. It tells you all the important stuff. Remember that some people will only respond to the first question you ask. So if you ask more than one question in an email, they may look at the first one, answer it, and then they've assumed that that's all you're asking. So find a way, either send your questions separately, say at the beginning, I need answers to the following two questions and bold highlight whatever you want us to do on that, but you need to call it out because I get that experience so often. People will only pay attention to the first thing you say and not to anything else. And then also... Make sure that you put action items. Let the person know, here's what I need from you. Here's what I need you to do. And if it goes in that net section at the beginning, all the better. I think the point is not a long, drawn-out thing, bullet-pointed items that are short, succinct, and to the point, and ask what you want from them right at the top. Dennis, how about you? Anything different from what I've said? 
I go back to the notion that we we scan more so than we read these days. And so you want to construct your emails for people who scan. And so it's kind of funny where you're talking about like craft your sub subject matter lines. Well, that's I wrote an article on email like 25 plus years ago that that was like one of the key key points. And it, it still is if, if you're using that. So that can be helpful. And especially if you say uh, if you kind of make the ask in the subject matter line, but you certainly build a subject line that people can find something when, when they're looking for it. Then I think it just comes to thinking visually and saying, let's bold things. Let's do bullet points. If I have a number of questions, I just say, I have three things. And it's like one, two, three. And, and I use like a header, a little header that's, that's bolded so people can see what I'm going through, and then you might summarize with the next action step at the end, but you also might you know, put that at the beginning. There's uh, an organization, news organization called Axios, and they have this approach, if you get their newsletters, they have this approach that they call smart brevity, and they have a whole structure to how they make it likely that you're more likely to read something. And it's, you know, it puts the main points in a summary and it tells you how long it will take to read and stuff like that. And there's actually some valuable things I think you can learn from from there if you're doing something that's a little longer. But I think it's just think visually the stuff that's important, make it bold, make the, make the font bigger, whatever it takes to, to draw people's eyes to it. But the fact is, none of us really read that well anymore because there's so much coming at us. So now it's time for a parting shots at one tip website or observation. You can use the second this podcast ends. Tom, take it away. Well, first, I'm going to say I highly recommend Axios newsletters. They the, There are so many good ones that they write. If you're lucky enough to be in a town that has an Axios newsletter dedicated to your town, the one we have for Dallas is really great. So take a look at Axios newsletters. That is not my parting shot, however. My parting shot is um, we, we, you've heard us talk on the podcast periodically about the fact that we both have stream decks and that we both want to use them. And at some point, we're going to do an episode about how we set up the stream deck and, and how we use it to automate working at the computer. Well, I was pleased to see that Microsoft Teams has come out with a, a plugin for Stream Deck where you can actually control Teams meetings. The link that I'm going to put in the show notes is actually how you can control a Teams meeting from your iPad, um, which is nice, but you don't have to use it from your iPad. You can use it from the Stream Deck itself and you can plug all the different buttons in to mute yourself, to raise your hand, to send a heart emoji. You can do all sorts of things and do that from this Stream Deck uh, instead of from your keyboard. This link is really designed if you're running a webinar and you need to be doing a lot of things to, to run the webinar, but I think it can be used for any other meeting. I will say, and Dennis pointed out, that in between the time that I found the link and the time that we're recording this podcast, um, they found a security issue in the plugin from Microsoft Teams to Stream Deck. So they've taken it out of the store briefly they're fixing it. Once they put it in, it'll be ready to go. Take a look at the link in there. And once the, the app is back, give it a try if you have a Stream Deck. Dennis. Yeah, my guess is that the app will probably be back by the time this podcast airs. Could be, yep. 
So I have two things. So one is uh, a little bit of MSU Center for Law, Technology, Innovation, uh, self-promotion. We have a new video uh, that is a minute and a half video introducing the center and, and what it does. It features one of my RAs, Kendall Freeman, who just rocks the voiceover and uh, has been told by more than a few people that he has a career in voiceovers if, if he wants to do it. So we'll have a link in the show notes in it, and I'll be putting it up on the, the center's website, on the MSU website as, as well. And then for ChatGPT, I, I use this uh, for the uh, design challenge we're doing. So there's a great YouTube video. We'll put the link in there and it's uh, uh, not quite five minutes and it's called the 10 best chat GPT examples prompts and use cases and it's just a, if you don't know anything about chat GPT it's a great intro gives you 10 things some you'll like some will impress you some you'll say so what but it'll give you an idea of some of the capabilities of uh, that chat GP can uh, can be used for and again I, if you focus on the small stuff I think I think you're going to get really excited about what it can do. And so that wraps it up for this edition of the Kennedy Mile Report. Thanks for joining us on the podcast. You can find show notes for this episode on the Legal Talk Network's page for the show. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, on the Legal Talk Network site, or within your favorite podcast app. If you'd like to get in touch with us, remember you can always reach out to us on LinkedIn. You can find us on Twitter, but less and less. And remember, we do like to get those voicemails to feature your questions during our B segment. That number is 720-441-6820. So until the next podcast, I'm Tom Mile. And I'm Dennis Kennedy. And you've been listening to the Kennedy Mile Report, a podcast on legal technology with an internet focus. If you like what you heard today, please rate us in Apple Podcasts. And we'll see you next time for another episode of the Kennedy Mile Report on the Legal Talk Network. Thanks for listening to the Kennedy Mile Report. Check out Dennis and Tom's book, The Lawyer's Guide to Collaboration Tools and Technologies, Smart Ways to Work Together, from ABA Books or Amazon. And join us every other week for another edition of the Kennedy Mile Report, only on the Legal Talk Network.